Hello, Hope Church family. I am so excited to be back with you again this week. As promised, we are going to be back in that same passage we were in last week, Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. And we are still in the series that I am loving called Becoming Disciples. And last week we said we're going to be back in this passage, but we're going to look at it more in depth. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at this passage and trying to train ourselves to see people as Jesus sees people. How does Jesus view people around us? And again, to him, and we said this last week, he is the author of life. He is the author of love. He is the ultimate example of what true love is, pure love. And I am really bad at it. And if you're like me in any way, uh, number one, I'm sorry. But number two, we are bad at this. It does not come naturally. Our natural desires, uh, again, especially if you're like me, our natural sinful desire is to slander and gossip and, and do all of these things that are not loving. So this passage can really hit home. And I know last week as I was studying, as we went through Romans 12, it did. And we, again, we finished last week saying, start somewhere. And so uh, my prayer is that this week we were able to do that. We started somewhere. And this week, as we go back through it, um, I want to look at a bigger picture. Now, it's going to fit through because we're going through the book of Matthew, and we're through chapter 4 when we started the series on discipleship. And in the fall, we're going to pick it back up in Matthew chapter 5. And so really what I'm going to do tonight is look at a bigger overview of the book of Matthew, especially these first 10 chapters. And I want us to really get a bigger picture of Jesus and how he viewed the world, how he viewed his mission to come and defeat sin and death, his mission to come and proclaim the kingdom of God. And so, although it'll seem really big, just know over the course of the next 15 to 20 years, as we cover chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, just kidding, hopefully, as we cover these different things, this will kind of make sense as we, again, see it from the bigger the bigger viewpoint. So let's jump back into Matthew uh, chapter 9 and read verses 35 through 38 again. And if you're wondering why we read these so many times, because we want you to memorize them. So memorize them with us. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And again, that Matthew chapter 9, verse 38 is why we set our alarms. If you haven't yet, set your alarms at 9.38 a.m. and p.m. And we pray, Lord, send me out into the harvest. Lord, Put people in my life and use your pi squared card. We'll talk about it again at the end of the message. How do I reach these people? How am I operating in the harvest for your glory? So again, I hope you're taking notes. We're going to jump right in. Uh, point number one that I want you to understand when we read this passage. And it's not something that we do easily. And it is something that, again, if you're like me, you don't do naturally. Point number one. Jesus sees the hurt and he goes to it. 
Jesus sees the hurt and goes to it. Look what again, what he does. He, he goes to the people that are in need. He sees them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But what I actually want to do is I want you to go back to chapter 8. And as you're turning there, which should just be a couple pages back, we're going to review again. We've seen that first four chapters proclaiming that Jesus is human, that Jesus is of Jewish descent, that he is God's son. And we see him baptized and we see him resist temptation. And now he chooses those disciples in chapter four. And starting in chapter five, and again, Matthew isn't a chronologically done book, but we see his sermon on the mount. We see him preaching and, and kind of explaining this is how you live in this kingdom, or this is what the kingdom is going to be like. And this is what we are to live out in our lives now in chapters five, six, and seven. And then after five, six, and seven, it's almost this uh, immediate living out what he said. And so starting in chapter eight, you see him living out. It's almost like Matthew saying, this was his message he preached, and this is what he did. And this is how they, they matched up together. So I'm just going to read the, the headlines of the different uh, areas of Matthew eight and nine. Uh, first, you see Jesus heals a man with leprosy. So when we say Jesus sees the hurt and he goes to it, nobody went to the lepers. The lepers would be branded or marked if their leprosy wasn't enough to communicate to you that they were lepers. Uh, leprosy was this horrible disease that still exists in the world where parts of your flesh would literally just rot off and unattach themselves from the rest of your body. It was a, it's a very grotesque um, disease and, um, and people ran from it and they had leper colonies and you weren't allowed to go places and you weren't allowed to conduct business and there was all these rules protecting people from the lepers. And so what we see is a leper approaches Jesus and Jesus heals him and tells him, go show yourself to a priest, make the sacrifices necessary for you to be pronounced clean. Demonstrating that Jesus makes things clean. Jesus, only Jesus can take something that the rest of the world has called unclean and diseased and Jesus can make it clean. Jesus, again, is demonstrating his power. And as we go through these miracles, something that just is always amazing to me is these are not miracles that you can second guess. This was lepers who were again and horribly disfigured, brought back to being whole. Why? Je only Jesus can make things whole. Only Jesus can bring back together what everybody else sees as torn apart. All right, I can keep going on these on all of these and we will when we go through these passages. Next, we see the faith of the centurion. Again, a centurion is somebody, he was a Roman um, soldier who's been in a long time to be over a certain amount of soldiers. Romans are hated by the Jews. But here's a Roman centurion who tells Jesus, I tell people when to go and when to leave. Like, they listen to me. And Jesus brings about healing in his life. Why? Because the centurion had a servant that he was sick. And Jesus said, your faith has made him well. And I love verse 10. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. He called out the Jewish people with a Roman centurion's faith. You talk about a shocking message that Jesus had for them. You drop down to 14. It just says that Jesus heals many, that he went around and he was healing people. Uh, and we'll see that again in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Uh, then he stops and he does this short message um, where he's explaining what it means to follow him. And then it jumps right into him being on a boat. 
and the disciples are there. Jesus is sleeping and a storm raises up and they all think they're going to die. And Jesus is sleeping and they're really annoyed that Jesus is sleeping instead of helping bail water out of the boat or whatever it was that he was supposed to be doing. And Jesus wakes up. And I wish I could do this, especially with two kids that wake you up in the morning, just being like, peace be still. And it just goes back to being completely calm. And Jesus maybe goes back to sleep, which going back to sleep sounds wonderful these days. Anyways, but the men, the disciples say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? One of my favorite lines in describing Jesus. Because in a human being, we just cannot understand Jesus. The disciples were with him in a boat and they couldn't even accurately describe Jesus. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And then Jesus restores demon-possessed men. And then chapter 9, Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. Uh, then continuing on, uh, he calls Matthew. And I love how Matthew, and we'll go into this in depth at well, Matthew includes himself becoming a follower of Jesus in with all these other miracles. And I think Matthew had such a great view of himself when he's writing this that he knows it took a miracle to have a tax collector drop everything and follow Jesus. It took an absolute miracle for Matthew, who probably idolized money and idolized wealth. Those were his idols for him to drop everything and follow Jesus. He knew himself so well that he includes it in this list of miracles. And I think uh, going back to last week when we say it starts with a grasping gratitude in view of God's mercy. And we look at ourselves, we have to understand that it is a miracle. I look every day, I look and it is a miracle that God allowed me to be called a child of God. That Jesus died for me and my sins. And it is a miracle that that took place. It is a miracle that Jesus rose from the dead. And because of that miracle, the miracle of Rob being destined for eternity, separated from God in hell, the, the idols of my life could then be relinquished and I can follow Jesus. And that's true for every single person that chooses to follow God. Then um, there's questioning about fasting and praying and why don't your disciples pray? We'll get into that in the future. Then he, Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. And I love the dead girl because everyone's saying she's dead and they're playing pipes. They're playing these songs that you do when somebody dies. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 she's, she's not actually dead. She's just asleep. And it says they laugh at him. They laugh at him. When Jesus entered the synagogue's leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. They're mourning a dead girl, but Jesus' statement was so shocking that they stopped their mourning and laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout all the region. Again, Jesus' power. Why? Because somebody sleeping and somebody dead doesn't make a difference to Jesus. Jesus gives life. Jesus is the author of life. So they view the girl as dead, and Jesus says, to me, it's just as if she's sleeping. I just have to go touch her hand and life comes back. Then Jesus heals the blind and the mute. Again, they call them demon-possessed uh, demon people that don't allow them to see or don't allow them to speak. And so Jesus sends out the demons and they are restored. Their vision is restored. They're able to communicate again. And all of that leads up to Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38. That's just, the, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just the stories that Matthew mentions in his accounting of Jesus' miracles up to this point. And then we get into Jesus went through all the towns and villages, all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. That's what we talked about last week, is that emotional response when we see people. What is our emotional response to them? And that teaches us where we find our identity. That teaches us what our emotions tell us is what we truly are worshiping. He had compassion on me because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus goes to the diseased. He didn't run from them. Jesus goes to the poor. He goes to the grieving. He goes to the people with special needs. He goes to the addict, the broken, the sinner who has given up on trying to follow Jesus or do what is right. He goes to the rejected. He goes to the emotionally troubled. He goes to the opposing political entity in the centurion. Jesus went to them, not ran away from them, not avoided them. Jesus went to them. Jesus in his sovereignty, God in his sovereignty knew where these people were and he didn't avoid them. He went to them. Why? Because Jesus can see the hurt. A lot of times we can't see the hurt of our neighbors and our coworkers. So we have to stop. We need to build a relationship with them. We need to ask them. We need to ask them with sincerity. We need to actually hear them, not just listen to them. And we need to see them as Jesus sees them and not avoid them, but go to them. Jesus sees the hurt and he goes to it. In fact, some would say he targeted these people. He targeted the hurting. Point number two that we see in this passage. Jesus met the needs of the people. Jesus met the needs of the people. Like I said last week, we aren't as good at healing as Jesus is for obvious reasons, but Jesus has given us gifts, talents, abilities, and resources. Jesus has given us the ability, sometimes it's just the ability to set an alarm in our alarm clock to remember when to pray. Uh, it's an ability just to go and pray with people. There's all of these different abilities and talents and giftings and resources, and he's given us vehicles and places to live, and all of those things are gifts of God that he has blessed you with and given you to be used for his glory. And the question that we have to answer is, are we using them to meet the needs of the people that God and his sovereignty has placed in our life? God has never given me the gift of going up and healing somebody so that they could walk who couldn't walk before that I know of. God has never given me these different abilities, but God has given me a car that I can go and help somebody get to the store. Uh, God has given me a vehicle that I can go and pick somebody up and bring them to a doctor's appointment. Uh, God has given me uh, these different means of being able to help people, of, of helping somebody move a washer machine or helping somebody unload a truck or, or loading food into somebody's car. God has given me different uh, talents and abilities and giftings that he wants me to use for his glory. And I have to stop and take inventory of how am I using these things that God has given me. How are you doing? Do you help meet the needs of the people in your area, in your what we've called before the circle of influence that God has given you? And Jesus healed the people in front of him. Uh, that's kind of what's interesting is Jesus didn't come to earth and as soon as he said, everyone's healed and everyone in the whole world was healed right away. Jesus, for the most part, healed people in front of him or the person's messenger. He said, go back and the person's healed. And we see different ways of healings, but Jesus didn't heal everybody. And the 
there's a long answer to that and there's a lot of questions to that and I've actually a question I get asked pretty regularly. But I think for us, my, my, one of my take-homes is I think sometimes I can get so caught up in all the problems of the world that it becomes overwhelming and I don't do anything at all. And we kind of get the idea, and I remember hearing a story of, a, you know, just a story, but a little boy is on the ocean and an older man sees him and this little boy is running. There's all these starfish out on the sand and the tide has gone out. And the little boy is throwing a starfish in the ocean, starting throwing another starfish in the ocean. And the old man is kind of laughing because the ocean, for as long as far as you can see, is just riddled with starfish. And he's up to the boy and he goes, what are you doing? You'll never be able to get all these starfish back in the ocean. And the little boy goes, well, I can get this one back in, and throws it. And sometimes I think we need that perspective of, yeah, we can't get all the starfish back. We can't help everybody in our community. We may not be able to help everybody on our street, but the ones that we can, it makes a difference to how are you doing with the issues that are presented to you or right in front of you? Are you helping to meet the needs of the people right there? Next, we see that Jesus had relationships with a vision. And again, I can't remember who I originally said that. I heard Cam say it just before we started the series, and I've been using it ever since because it's a fantastic quote. Jesus had relationships with a vision. The other thing we see, and again, this isn't necessarily chronological order, but we do see Jesus healing people, and sometimes there are more disciples with him than others, and sometimes all the disciples are with him. But he's going around and he's performing all of these miracles, and then we always say in 9, 35 through 38, he says, Jesus did this, this, this. He had compassion. He saw them as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he turns to his disciples and says, Ask the Lord of the harvest to provide workers. And I always say, then you go into chapter 10. And then he says, oh, by the way, you're the workers you've been praying for. And in chapter 10, what we have is a lot of instruction that Jesus gives the disciples. And he then sends them out. So we say that Jesus had relationships with a vision. And how do we apply it to our lives? Is Jesus had these disciples and they were watching him for a while. Then he gives them instruction and says, now you're going to go do the exact same thing. He says in verse 1 in chapter 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Then it lists the 12 disciples. And then verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. That's something actually we see Paul do whenever he'd go in to a city. He would usually start by going to the people from Israel before he would go to the Gentiles. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And there's a whole list of instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples to go out and do what they have seen him doing. And I love that part of discipleship because he does it with them. He does it so that they can watch how he does it. And of course, Jesus is doing it perfectly, but he sends them out. Jesus, being all-knowing, going back to Cam's message on grace-filled discipleship, going back to Pete Dickinson's message on the long view of discipleship, he sends them out knowing that they're probably going to bomb in some areas. Like that's just not going to go well. And they're going to trip over themselves. They're going to come back. They may come back feeling very beat up that things didn't go as well as they had hoped. 
And that's the story of the disciples. We keep seeing they keep tripping up themselves. They keep getting in their own way. And Jesus then gives them instruction. He then says, okay, walk with me again. I'll show you again. And I'm going to send you out again. And so Jesus had relationships with a vision. Again, that's the same for us with our relationships with people here on earth as we disciple. There is a time of instruction. There is a time of helping people understand what Jesus has done for them. Then there is opportunity to practice instruction. And if you've spent any time at Hope Church, hopefully you've seen that kind of show up as uh, we do grocery giveaways. We do these different hot dog dinners that you're going to see more of. We're going to be doing more of these block parties. We're going to be doing a lot of other stuff in our community. It's the reason that we wanted Will on full-time staff is now there's opportunity. You get instruction on Saturday night. You get instruction in community groups and in discipleship. But now there has to be a point where you go out and exercise that instruction. There has to be a point where you go out and you practice it. And the thing again with practice that we talked about last week is there's going to be failure. There's going to be stuff that stands out that you know, I've got to go back and learn that again. Uh, my wife and I, when we do uh, pre-marriage counseling for people getting married, we say all the time, okay, so then after you get married, we're going to come back and walk through this with you again. Why? Because you're not going to be a perfect spouse in a perfect marriage just because you had dinner with us a couple times before you got married. After you get married, you're going to realize that almost every couple then says, we weren't really paying attention. We thought we had it figured out. So we walk back through it with them. Why? Well, discipleship is a lifetime. Discipleship is going to be together. They're going to trip up. We trip up. Everybody trips up and we come back and get more instruction and then try again. You don't give up. The Bible talks so much about perseverance and endurance and long suffering. And that's why, because you're going to trip up, you go back for more instruction and you go back and try again. There are noticeable areas of growth revealed. That's the nicest way I know how to say you messed up. There are noticeable areas of growth revealed. That's a learning opportunity to go back, receive instruction, go out, try again. And I want you to know you're going to trip up. There are going to be places that are revealed that need to change. The same is true with me in pastoring or being a husband or being a father. There are every day things that I notice, oh man, I messed up there. I got to go back again, get instruction, try again. You endure, there's long suffering, there's, there's perseverance. And then when you get through those, there's instruction, there's opportunity to practice instruction. There are noticeable areas of growth revealed. You go back to step one, there is instruction. There's opportunity to practice instruction. There are noticeable areas of growth revealed. It's actually one of my concerns is uh, I've spent so many times in different uh, churches or ministries where there's so much teaching with zero opportunity to live out application. Uh, there's so much knowledge and head knowledge. And I know I love when Will use the, he always says, you know, you get fat heads, spiritually fat heads, and you use those and you, you end up then not practicing it out. You don't get an opportunity to see how it plays out. And that's very dangerous. Uh, that's very dangerous because then you just become wise in your own eyes and that's when self-righteousness starts to settle in and you start to lose that vision and those people that God has sovereignty, sovereignly placed in your circle of influence become faceless and you stop caring about them. And then the next thing you know, it's just about you and your knowledge. And that's a very dangerous route to go down. So number four, I just want to give you some practical steps. 
What are some practical steps that we can apply uh, to our lives from this message? Step number one, pray, pray, pray. We just read in Romans 12, one of the things that we need to put into practice, pray faithfully. Prayer plays such an important role in our everyday life. We, we can so overlook prayer. I know just from my own, talking about just myself, we can overlook prayer because I tend to be more busy. Give me something I can actually do, something I can have in front of me. To stop and pray sometimes, if I'm being totally honest with you, it makes me feel lazy that I stopped. That's not what God tells us to do. Pray, pray, pray. Practical step number one, pray. Practical step number two, ask yourself this question. Uh, write it down, go back to it, maybe even on your Pi Square card, write it at the top. Who are the people you usually avoid? Who are the people that you usually avoid? And I met last week, I kind of mentioned when I lived in Indianapolis and people telling me, not everybody, I did have some wonderful people. I didn't want to make it sound as bad as I probably did. So all my friends who watch who are from Indianapolis, I'm sorry, I wasn't talking about you. And they would say, the world ends at 465 for me. I will not drive past that. I will not go down into the city. Uh, we see that even with the Jewish people. When they would travel from the south part to the north part, they would avoid Samaria. They would go around Samaria. They'd take the long road to avoid having to deal with Samaritans. So I want you to be really honest with yourself and ask, who do you avoid? What areas of the city do you drive around? What people do you notice if they're at work and you're like, ugh, not him? What people do you avoid? Jesus went to the people. Jesus saw their problems and he went to them and he tried to help bring about a solution. Now, I'm not saying you're a, a therapist or a licensed counselor, but you can have resources to give to people. If you don't let me know, I will get them to you. But how are you helping somebody grow one step closer in the relationship with God? What are the resources that you have to them? And do you go to them? Do you see them as Jesus does? Or do you see them in an earthly standpoint of, I don't really like that person. I don't really like those people. I'm going to avoid them. And third area, number three for practical steps. What are the things you can do to help meet the needs of the people in your community? Now, at Hope Church, we try to give you opportunities. We try to create those opportunities for you, but we know there are many more. I have to share this story with you really quick. Um, this past Sunday morning, I was preaching at Fellowship of Oakbrook. I got in my car and I got a text message from somebody in our church who put up the grocery giveaway on Facebook Marketplace. Somebody messaged them and said, I don't have a car, but I have nine people living in my house and I can't afford to feed them. And I'm driving to the church and I'm thinking, uh... They need food probably before Friday. So what do we do? You know, not a problem. We have money on hand that we can do that for people to make sure that they have food. So I get to fellowship, preach Sunday morning, and somebody who actually heard about Hope Church through the grocery giveaway uh, ended up um, coming to Fellowship of Oakbrook and has been coming there faithfully ever since. Uh, came up to me and handed me an envelope and said, this is money that people, I'm not sure where it comes from, but it's to help people with groceries. I don't know how much it is. It was $80 of money that um, Tab went to Aldi, bought $80 worth of groceries. Will went to deliver it. They weren't home. And we found out that during that course of those two days, she had had a stroke. So we have the food for her. We don't 
know all the situations, but we're trying. We didn't give up. So we're living out what we're asking you to do. We're trying to meet the needs of the people around us. That's things that you can do. You can have a gift card on hand for a grocery store. You can run and get some groceries and deliver it to people. We never know what that small little thing, the problem that has been presented to us, can go towards somebody coming to know Christ can go to somebody who may know Christ being encouraged that there's somebody out there that loves them and cares for them and wants to be there for them to bring all glory to God. And then number four, using your pi squared card. How do you follow through this week with one of the people on your list? Pick out just one name. And last week we tried to make it really simple. Start somewhere. Take one thing out of Romans 12 and start there this week. So this week I'm asking you to take one person from your pi squared card and say, how am I going to implement something that we see Jesus doing, seeing people as Jesus sees them? How am I going to implement one thing this week? How am I going to try to meet a need for one person this week? How am I going to try to see the hurt in one person this week? How am I going to try to step out and live out what we've been talking about, about discipleship this week with one person on my pi squared card. I want to just close reading through this passage again. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Lord, our prayer again is that you, through your Holy Spirit, would empower us to step out, that we would have courage, that we would go into our communities, into our neighborhoods, into our homes, into our apartments, wherever that you have placed us in your sovereignty, that we would represent you to bring all glory to you in the circle of influence that you have placed us on. Lord, that we would be able to understand what are the idols of our life that need to be removed, what are the distractions in our life that need to be set aside so that we can focus on you and what you have for us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.